Hey, uh, thanks for thanks for coming on. Hi, thank you very much for having me on. How are you doing? I am good. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. It's like 10 degrees in Chicago today, which is very, <laughs> very cold. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I moved to the south this year. And um, so I am not dealing with that same thing. Uh, I used to live in southwest Michigan, so it's, it's, it's a lot different for me now. Well, congratulations on, on going south. I will... Maybe. <laughs> Depends on where in the South. Well, we're, we're I, I, I'm probably not going to say, but. <laughs> Fair enough. My partner is with the university and we don't love the idea of people figuring out where we are. That um, that makes a lot, a lot of sense. Um, yeah, people are, especially on the YouTube side of things, people are very, uh, are pretty crazy, it seems like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, actually, I actually invited you on because I I think like somebody um, alerted me to you because I talk a lot about how everything is a fandom, right. and I, you know I I've noticed that you you say you basically say the same thing um, and have been saying it for much longer than I have on a platform I'm actually not super familiar with or at least I haven't uh, you know I I'm not as familiar with YouTube as I am with Twitter, which I feel like I'm always kind of breaking down and analyzing. So I thought you would be a fun person to talk to. Well, I appreciate you thinking of me for that. That's fun. Um, yeah. yeah, I have very much uh, come from a, a sort of, to, to sort of summarize where I come from, I came from a working class background. I got a job one time somewhere where I accidentally met a couple of people from radio. They thought I had a good voice and they put me on. And uh, from there, I kind of learned a little bit about marketing. And when I learned about marketing, I became extremely jaded with everything in the United States. (laughs) (laughs) So you start there and then you start observing things. Like I watched Tumblr happen. I watched Twitter happen. And I was very... I participated a lot in YouTube because I saw YouTube as when it came out in 2005, late 2005, I joined in January 2006. Um, It seemed like a way to sort of get like content out there that wasn't totally like co-opted by somebody. You didn't have to answer to somebody. You didn't have to have somebody make decisions about whether or not something was worth making or not. So I was very interested in that because I never I always wanted to do like comedy and sketch comedy and stuff like that. But I never wanted to move to one of the big cities um, to do that because I, 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 I'm I not I don't love living in big cities. I, I've done it a few times and uh, it, I prefer not. But two, I, I just New York and L.A. are not for me particularly. Um but from that perspective, I sort of tried to avoid um, getting sucked into that kind of like environment to just to do something creative that I liked. I, I made a lot of videos on my own and YouTube happened. So I'm like, oh, wait, here's a thing you can do this on. Anyway, long story short, I watched particularly on YouTube it go from this sort of neutral platform where it was like, it's for you. You do what you want. You be creative in your way to, 
Um, I, I don't know if you've paid attention, but they have this bizarre like creator academy on their website that tells you how to like curate a fandom and uh, like how to market yourself and how to develop like they don't use the words parasocial relationship, but they tell you how to do that. And it's it's really it's always made me uh, sort of. I'm not a pessimistic person, but when I look at that, I'm like, wow, that could have been something good, and it's not. Why? And, and that's sort of led me to a lot of the various things that I've, I've ended up doing. That's, um, that's so weird. <laughs> They're like teaching people how to be like professional. I, I don't want to call like YouTubers like amateurs, especially like at this point, but it's sort of like when, you know, to, to take it back to fandom, uh, when like a media property will like put out like something that's supposed to like approximate a fan work, mm-hmm. but it's like they they themselves are creating it, so it doesn't have the same kind of like magic. <laughs> well, well, like uh, the the Boba Fett series that uh, Disney Plus is making, it's every single person has who likes Star Wars and likes Boba Fett has made that fan fiction. Like there was, I saw somebody on Twitter today posted a video where they overlaid. Patton Oswalt from uh, Parks and Rec with the first scene of of um, of that show. I've I've never watched the show personally, so I have no idea really exactly what happens in it. But like his narration lines up completely with what's happening. Is if they <laughs> they literally took a clip from Parks and Rec and used it to storyboard the <laughs> intro to their show, and it's like that's kind of where we are with that they are definitely trying to approximate that sort of fan made user generated um not necessarily aesthetic because obviously these things are huge expensive productions but like the idea of it like what if what if somebody who wanted to make that stuff just had all the money in the world to make it uh, so yeah it, it kind of it does bring us back to phantom in some weird ways yeah, YouTube is is so I don't know, it's so mysterious to me because I feel like I missed I like missed the boat on it somehow. Like I, I mm. popped in at like two thousand six and then I like kinda popped out and then I came back in in like two thousand nine, then like two thousand thirteen, and then I just haven't looked at it in so long. So like in my mind it's like Magibon and then like sex pat <laughs> vloggers, you know, and the Numa Numa guy or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, and maybe Trisha no paid us. <laughs> it's like <No>. just <laughs> really spotty. And then there's like this whole now there's this like whole suite of like culture commentators. And I'm mm-hmm. like, where, when did this happen? And I feel like you're sort of part of that that uh, that you know that group of of people doing social commentary and political commentary on YouTube. Well, yeah. Again, like my my mode of sort of creating things is not to go through. Um, sort of official channels, so to speak. I didn't go to college. I didn't do that kind of stuff. I, I just kind of just make stuff. And even though, like I said, there's a lot of problems with the platform, it's still kind of the easiest, at very least, way to make something and put it up. Um, I tend to say things that are a lot more grounded in like reality than a lot of people do. So that kind of makes me a little bit of a black sheep because a lot of that this is the thing that makes me irritated with a lot of the type of commentary you're talking about. A lot of it is how blank movie that I liked in either the eighties or nineties is socialist. <laughs> That's kind of, 
I kind of hate that shit too. I think I saw one that was like, why Sailor Moon is Marxist. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. this was like 2015 and I can't get it out of my head. No, it's, no, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's, no, it's not Marxist. It's a cartoon. Um, the person who created the cartoon, probably not a Marxist. Um, even if they said something that intersects with something that a Marxist might say, probably not a Marxist. They're probably, you know, what leads you to be an animator is is like a long string of events that doesn't usually involve being in the Communist Party, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, it, it feels like people don't really know what any of these words mean. Like even people who sort of like are professionally engaged with mm-hmm. leftist thought or even on the right, honestly, like I, it, it just seems like these are labels that are stuck onto things for the sake of categorization. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I I have been writing a book about uh, wokeness for the last couple of years, and a lot of it is about how words just flat out don't have to mean what they mean. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's, it's this situation where you can say, like, well, I'm an anti-racist, and that doesn't mean that you fight racism. That means you adhere to a certain strict set of, like, rules as to language and aesthetic that uh if you violate you can get in big trouble if you had previously sold yourself as somebody who um adheres to those things like that's not really changing anything about like historical disparities between you know x group and y group it's it's nonsense it's all like fully spectacle and 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 that's kind of what the problem with the type of content that I was just talking about where it's it's oriented towards like just taking a piece of media and telling you how revolutionary it is it's um it's 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 a not revolutionary and it's b to bring it back to fandom sort of to take a, a discontent that has been rising since at very least the late 80s uh like within the sort of uh like Particularly the millennial culture, but like I would say it's present in the in the later Gen X stuff. And then the Zoomers are full on like, hey, everything sucks. I really don't like how stuff is. Um, it's sort of taking that and being like, well, here's a bunch of ways that you can connect that to fandom. <laughs> here's here's a movie that's for you. Here's a. Uh, uh, a, a, a TV show that's for you. Here's a band that's for you. And also me, aren't I great for telling you about these things? Come back to my Twitter, come back to my YouTube, come back to whatever they're doing it on. And it's not particularly creative. It's sort of just commodifying this discontent, this alienation and uh, trying to make it into a means to influence, except for the influences non like inconsequential for the most part (laughs) well that's yeah that's something i've been thinking about like you know fandom is sort of like a mode of engagement is Mm -hmm. great and like the the platforms have sort of like it would make sense that they would want to turn everything into a fandom because fans do all sorts of like free labor but then you know for the influencers it's like what you know what's the mo like even for me i i like think about sometimes like i'm creating all this content like I always check in with myself, like, do I enjoy doing this? Because this yeah. is like meaningless <laughs> in well, a lot of yeah, important ways. It's really important <laughs> to ask that question too. Like, is this something that I would do if it did not benefit me in any way? Because if you can answer yes, then it does have a purpose. It doesn't matter if you can outline that purpose completely. 
But a lot of these people, I don't know if they would do that because I oftentimes see people start off making uh, like these interesting critiques. One of the the sort of bread tube people made this really interesting critique on this story that happened on a plane uh, called Plane Bay. I don't. It was a social media phenomenon where somebody was like live tweeting two people flirting with each other on a plane and it kind of violated their privacy in a lot of weird ways. And it went viral And while they were up in the air, all these tweets were being retweeted this whole situation. And suddenly like between these two randoms on a plane, there was this entire fandom and there was like shipping going on and it was like full blown insane. Uh, and, and, and this YouTuber made a really interesting critique of that, that sort of started talking about like commodifying various relationships and, and all that. And then they ended up becoming one of those people who literally is like, how Space Jam is actually fascist or how blank is actually socialist. And it's just like, how do you do this? How do, how do you enjoy doing this? Because you're not making a different video each time. You're just sort of listing off things from this movie and claiming that they're socialist. Yeah, I, like I, I have to wonder, like maybe it's sort of the consistent validation you know mm. like i it absolutely it seems like it has to like burn out though i mean i i can't i can't even really like put myself in the shoes of someone who like like truly doesn't enjoy it and it's just like cranking stuff out mm-hmm. um i because i just like it's so like even when you do like it it's so draining <laughs> oh absolutely it takes a ton of energy like when i do one of my documentaries it's like months of work and uh I don't put them out on a regular basis. I used to do them monthly, but it's it became too much work to actually, you know, care about what I'm saying and do tons of research. But so I don't rely on that for money either. <laughs> but um yeah, it's a draining process and it I do think that validation plays a big concept. I wrote a book called Custom Reality and You, and one of the concepts, it's sort of breaking down marketing in a way where I mean, the whole book is sort of breaking down marketing and showing how it's used as ideology to sort of prop up uh, the ruling class and the the current order of how things are. And um, there's one concept I talked about called um, validation gangs. Uh, It's basically like, you know, people talk about tribalism. They say, like, you find your tribe and 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 you argue on behalf of your tribe. And it's kind of like reductive and silly and doesn't really think, I think a lot about the dynamics. It just sort of, they're saying it's people are playing team sports essentially. Well, I think that validation is one of the prime um, drivers of that dynamic. And it doesn't actually function like a tribe because a tribe doesn't exist to validate every single member of the tribe. In fact, uh, if you look into more historical accounts, uh, a lot of the time there was an inter- intertribe conflict like uh internal not with the outside world they just don't hang around and tell each other that they're all great all day they they have societies they they uh, have conflicts they have interests etc etc um but these work very differently they work kind of like a community but more along the lines of something of a gang because there's there's some thought leaders the gang leaders you would call uh, and, and they're the ones that really benefit from being in this gang. And this is also, I'm 
just for anybody who's actually um, making comparisons, I'm also outlining identity politics to some extent here. But um, so you have somebody heading this sort of gang. You have the members of the gang who are purported to benefit from the gang, but are really just kind of doing the work. And there's this competitive internal consumption thing to try to sort of bump off the uh, the top names in it. Like, I'm the best consumer. I'm the one who knows the most about this thing. I'm the one who has consumed the most, you know, organic or fair trade or whatever thing. Um, I should be the one leading here. And you see that with a lot of the, um, like, ContraPoints controversies. A lot of people were like, I should be the one who is representing the trans community on YouTube, or I should be the one who's representing leftist politics on YouTube. Here's why. And here's why this person is wrong. And this competitive, it's ultimately competitive consumption because it's taking in various political theory. It's taking in various ideas and regurgitating them, not really with any creative elements. It's just kind of like, hey, I consumed this. I'm right. I have that. And then there's also the external dynamics, which keep people inside this uh, sort of validation gang because their viewpoint is right and every other viewpoint is wrong. Um, Like you have your competing demographic to BreadTube, which would have been the skeptics or Gamergate or whatever thing that is the opposite. Like, I guess kind of the fascists. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I use that term very loosely because I don't think a lot of people actually know what fascism is either. Um, but I don't even think some people who identify as fasci know what fascism oh, is. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> fascism is capitalism in decay. It's a, it's a moribund capitalism that is in crisis. Um it's essentially something where things start to break down and the ruling class has to clamp down. It's, 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 it's completely different than what like Umberto Eco says. It, Umberto Eco lists a, a, a couple of aesthetic or not a couple, but like, a, I think it was 12 aesthetic things that tell us what a fascist is. It's a list of how to spot a fascist. And it's, that stuff isn't how to spot a fascist. How to spot a fascist is if, you know, capitalists decide that the free market crap that they espouse isn't worth, you know, upholding for now and freedom, it goes away. Uh, They have all, they own everything. They have all the authority. It's not a matter of them converting themselves to like a dictator or anything. It's just a matter of being like, all right, well, I guess I've decided today that uh, I don't really like the idea of people doing what they want anymore. It's, it's 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 something that is gradually happening more and more too. Like um, uh, people love to like celebrate all these right wing people being kicked off Twitter and everything, um, but I would say that that's not exactly a thing to celebrate because it's a demonstration of how much power uh, Twitter and the capitalists that own it actually have over what you have to say. Uh, I did a whole documentary on that called Free Speech Extreme. I could talk for hours about free speech because it's 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 an issue that everybody talks about in a way that makes no real assertions and and relates back to it and no like it's fully a power structure thing um but i'm i'm now adhding on on this <laughs> so i will no, this is this is great i'm I, this is a loosely a podcast about tech we're talking about techno fascism still on topic <laughs> okay 
All right. Well, edit out me saying that it was off topic. <laughs> no, I'm joking. You can leave in whatever you want. I don't care. Um, the where what were we talking about originally? Because I did want to go back to it anyways. God, I don't. I don't even remember. I mean, I, I think. I mean, you've you've made like a a, a bunch of a bunch of great great points. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't even know how we got here. But we let's let's keep going with free speech. Why not? Sure. Well, I, well, I, I would say that that, that is a, free speech to some extent is actually it's contingent on a lot of these things. The, the, the sort of manufacturing of consent requires, you know, people to feel the same kind of validation by a certain viewpoint uh, that is sort of seated as the official viewpoint or, or what have you. Uh, you you have fandoms around viewpoints now, like fandoms around whether vaccines are valid, fandoms around um, Fauci, fandoms around like, bizarre things, um, both for and against, uh, you know, vaccines. When in reality, in my opinion, that issue is more or less like, hey, there's these huge companies that have a profit motive that are telling us that we should do something. Maybe we should investigate why they're telling us that rather than just like outwardly rejecting everything like Hey, investigate. It's it's not that hard. But that also relates back to it too because I mean, free speech is such a like a it's a misleading term, I think, because if we're talking about speech in a capitalist society, what we should be talking about when we're saying free is whether or not you have to pay to speak uh, rather than uh, if you have the freedom to speak, because you don't have the freedom to speak if if it costs money to actually be heard. Um, and I think that that's how we sort of get back to how this is ultimately a I, I will bring absolutely everything back to a proletarian and bourgeoisie thing class, because uh, I am, as many people say, a quote unquote class reductionist, whereas I just actually see things through that lens. But, I mean, this is the exact same thing that I'm talking about with fandom. Like, ultimately, these are dynamics that are seeded by the ruling class amongst the proletariat and sort of they use money to nudge things along. They use, I mean, I, I was just reading about this guy. And sorry, I, I'm definitely ADHDing here again. <laughs> but um, I was just reading about this guy who is definitely a, like a federal informant with the the um, January 6th crap, like very much like nudging people along, being like, we need to go inside the Capitol. And like, they even recognized him as a Fed. They were chanting Fed at him. Like they were like, this is a Fed. <laughs> um, and it's just like, there's so much. I'm sorry. I, I'm sound, starting to sound like a lunatic. But, <laughs> but um. There's so much like if you just analyze things from a class lens, it's expository of so many of the dynamics that we talk about, like marketing. People love to act like, you know, the personal responsibility crap or like you should buy vegan or you should buy um, stuff not from Amazon. You should buy somewhere other than Amazon or not shop at Walmart. It's like you don't 
get it. Like it, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with who owns the, the supply and who owns the factories that create the supply and who all of the demand is marketed into existence. Like you could, you could make bread, you could, <laughs> you know, you could eat like very differently uh, and still live. It's, it's, it's all marketed into existence. Like the way that we like the lifestyles. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I need some direction here. I'm starting to. <laughs> sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you. No, no, um, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, no. I mean, I think I think you're right. Like, I I talk about something like very similar with like how we use the internet. Like, it doesn't actually matter what the thing is. It's the structure that the thing is happening Absolutely. under. Like, uh, yeah, this is my like, my big gripe with like the IDW. It's like they're the same thing as like the woke crowd. Mm-hmm. It's just aesthetically different, and no one seems to to talk about like. Well, how how is you know how are our communication tools impacting us, or like to you know your focus, like how are corporations impacting us, or how is how are class dynamics uh, impacting us? I mean, I, I'm I'm totally with you. I I watched your your representation video earlier today, and I, I really liked it because I mean you you bring up the important point that like it doesn't matter if your boss is like a you know a trans woman of color that nothing actually changed there. Well, I mean. Think about all of the other trans women of color. Like, what happened for them? Like, is is you having a boss who is a trans woman of color helping them? Absolutely not. Like, they're in the exact same position they were when your boss was a white guy who, you know, has half of the hair he had at one point in his life. Um, I, I just, I feel like when we get into that stuff, it, it's so blatantly obvious that what what people think is fair, or at least they want us to think is fair is like just proportional representation in the ruling class. Like you get, you know, a a nice diverse bourgeoisie going and then suddenly inequality uh, doesn't matter. That's quote unquote equality of opportunity. So it's sort of, and then, you know, to bring it back to fandom, you have all these goofy, uh, like simps for all of those types of folks who have made it into the bourgeoisie and have like a slightly diverse background in some way. A lot of them still white people. Um, I say that not necessarily because it matters, but because it's hypocritical and it always, you can always find a way for that to go back on itself. You know, every time I, Every time somebody, because I, I, I'm non-binary. I don't really make it a big thing. I don't talk about it all the time. I don't care about if people use the right pronouns or not. Like, it's just something about how I see myself. It has to do with my own personal self-actualization. Um, but, like, I see people pushing this, like, like, with the Netflix walkout that happened, like, a month or so ago. There were people who were like, we need trans and non-binary VPs of content. And I was like, does that pay my rent? I, I just don't care. I don't care at all. I don't care if they have posters of Dave Chappelle up at uh, Netflix. I, 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 none of that stuff matters. I don't even really care what Dave Chappelle said. Uh, I, I'm not sure what Dave Chappelle said. I, I'm not tuned into that kind of thing. Um, like for me, I, I think about all this stuff and, and, it does. It does come back to fandom because you have to have a group of people who is vehemently for whatever it is you're doing, and they have to do it for free. Because if they were doing it 
uh, for a paycheck, it wouldn't seem genuine to other people. So you have to curate this sort of thing for, like you said, it doesn't matter what it is. It's everything. It's absolutely every single possible thing that is out there. Um, and, and that's probably the scariest part about it. Like if, if you think about like Elizabeth Warren, Elizabeth Warren had a freakish fandom. Um, if you think about, you know, barbecue sauce, there is a, there's fandoms for like various barbecue, like since that, um, that I forget what the, I think it's called hot ones is the name of the show where the celebrities go on and eat um, hot wings. Since that has existed, there's been like various barbecue sauce fandom, like hot sauce fandoms that have sprung up and, and you see people advocating on behalf of totally inconsequential products, like not for money either. It's just cause they like it and they want to show that they have good taste in some way. Or, or they're right about something, or they know something, or whatever. It's literally, like you said, everything. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's its a great distraction, too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think a lot about, um, I mean, it doesn't matter, like, what you're doing it with. But, I, like, a good example is, like, on, probably on YouTube, but, like, certainly on Twitter, is, you know, as long as you, there's, like, different fights on Twitter um, about, like, you know, such and such person being cast in a movie, or, like, you know, such and such political thing like it distracts from the the fact that these conversations can only happen on twitter and like to me like that's actually the real issue like not yeah you know not that the some star wars actress said something racist but that like the locus of all our news and all our art and all our conversations about it are happening on twitter and everything else is obscured well yeah the that's the interesting thing about where we are right now it's all mediated communication. There's so much uh, that they do to put up a filter between every point of communication right now, um, especially in, in these fandoms. Like they they curate these sort of fake communities that are based around, like I said, sort of gang dynamics and competitive consumption and sort of proving yourself to be the best consumer. Um, and <clears throat> sorry, I. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Um, edit that out, please. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I will. <laughs> um, the, uh, what was I saying? I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, I'll just throw a question at you instead. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you have a, you know, you have a pretty big following yourself. What has that, that, you know, speaking of fandom, what has that journey been like? Like, surely you have some like diehard fans or anti-fans. I have a lot of anti-fans. I have um, some fans, I would say. Uh, I have had channels on YouTube that are large. Like, my main channel had, at its height, like 270-some thousand subscribers. And it's kind of suffered an algorithm death. And if I put something on it, it gets a couple thousand views. It's it's basically nothing at this point. But, uh, you know, there were people who, you know, have followed me through the years. We, I did a, a Twitter space the other day and somebody who had watched like my videos since 2006 came on it and talked to myself and my partner. And it was um, it was strange because like he remembered things that I don't remember. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I've tried fairly hard to dissuade people from viewing me as uh, like a leader or a. Um, 
Yeah, I, I get a lot of people on Twitter that call me a grifter because I contradict whatever thing that they want. But I really, I'm not advocating for myself to be some kind of, you know, savior or leader or or uh, what have you. I, I just am a critic. I say what I think, and I try very hard to sort of encourage people who follow me and like what I do to do the same thing. And I have found that I haven't had all of the weird experiences that I've like people that I've talked to have had with people who like what they do. Um, Like most people who like what I do, I like communicate with them in my discord. Uh, They're pretty chill. They don't get too obsessive about anything I do. Um, you know, I respect them. They make stuff. I, I look at it. It's more of a two-way relationship, or at least I try to make it as much of that as possible rather than, you know, hey, I made this video. Please worship me for it. Um, <laughs> I try to avoid that really hard. Um, but you still but, cultivated an audience. Yes, I did cultivate an audience. And it, it, it works in a way where I think it's unavoidable. To some extent, if you're saying something that is, I mean, different, you kind of like, even if it's not a big audience, you cultivate some people who are skeptical of things at very least. Uh, And I have found that that has led me to a lot of very interesting, you know, completely unknown thinkers. Like there are people that I know just through making stuff that, you know, don't really make stuff, but they think very interestingly. I don't know. I I guess I I try to view this as I'm trying to make something that isn't to lift myself up uh, because I don't view lifting yourself up as the most useful thing you could be doing. But I also think that it's inevitable that if you do something well and you do it for long enough, it kind of just happens. So you do have to some extent, like the clout at least with a certain group of people, regardless of the size of it. So it's something I struggle with a little bit, but the, the, the anti fandom that is, that is where I think um, all of the more traditional weirdness I see, I see manifest because people who hate me, really really hate me and they they hate me for a like predefined set of reasons that they found on a wiki somewhere or somebody told them and it's always the same stuff they always bring up the same things and uh like it's like i kicked myself in the nuts on 2004 or on tv in 2004 or i had um i was catfished in 2011 and it was painted as uh, i made up a girlfriend or i supported you know X side and X argument at one point, and that makes me good, or that makes me bad, or rather, that makes me bad, not good. They generally, <laughs> people who are in my anti fandom don't really consider me good generally, but, uh, but they still care. They do care. They care a lot, and it's it's something that like I have tried very hard to understand. And, um, you know, we're talking about these mediated platforms. When I have the opportunity to talk with these people, like, one-on-one, if, like, one DMs me and says, like, you're a stupid piece of crap, I just do whatever I can to try to have a, a 
one-on-one conversation with them privately. Cause I think that that's really the only, the only chance I had to diffuse whatever stuff they have going on. Cause I don't, there are people who have found like, uh, my, my ex-wife was in the hospital one time and they called, uh, her hospital room. And I thought that was the most bizarre thing. Cause we hadn't said, uh, that she was in the hospital. Um, like there was, there was a lot of really scary stuff that happened from people that like hey, a pivot point where you like just blew up and that, and you know, for better or for worse, started getting all of this attention. Uh, it was it was 2011. The whole fake girlfriend thing. The idea that I I uh, made up a girlfriend. I was being catfished, and um, well, what happened was a gossip blogger. Uh, I was kind of like I was. I mentioned earlier. I'm kind of very skeptical about advertising and marketing and fandom. And this gossip blogger was doing all of the kinds of things that I criticized. And I was like, here is this. This is what. I'm talking about this is the bad things. This is what I don't like about marketing, about fandom, about all that. And that was obviously taken as an attack on that person's business because it was. Um, And so they kind of looked into me, noticed that the person that I was with publicly wasn't real, dug up a bunch of stuff and framed it as though I made that person up. And um, other YouTubers who I I had also at that point pissed off in a very similar way. Um, took that post and just like blasted it everywhere. Like um, there was a YouTuber who was really popular called Ray William Johnson back in the day. And he put it on Facebook and it got like 77,000 likes. And uh, from there, somehow it traveled to somebody who worked at Gawker and Gawker published it. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. So that has defined a lot of my life post then like for there were several years where I could not get work and I ended up um I was homeless for a while based on that like uh, there's a lot of shit that happened due to and and pardon my cursing I don't know if that's allowed or not no go for it okay there's a lot there was a lot that went down due to that that really really was bad for me I, I won't detail all of it or anything but that event sort of lit the fuse on the anti-fandom. And no matter what I've done since then, there's always people who see me through that filter who get obsessive because I say something that contradicts what they think. And they go, well, you're just a stupid person who makes up a, a fake girlfriend. And then they start posting the Gawker story along to people to try to discredit whatever it is I'm saying. Um, I don't it's 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 all insane. Like honestly just uh, my life has been totally nuts one way or the other. <laughs> I it seems like ev- everyone who has uh you know an internet presence has sort of like this crazy narrative. I mean, I can't I I haven't had that many episodes of of this. I don't know, this is like the the fourth episode or something and every single guest has had like a just horrifying run-in with gawker that just like changed their lives again like for better and for worse like mostly for worse honestly but it's i mean i think it's it's something to do with like being so so visible but also like not having the benefit of like a publicist oh absolutely um see that's 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 i'm so glad you said that cuz that's something that is is really um, 
it's really important to think about. Like a lot of people say, like, why are you saying this publicly? Why are you doing this publicly? Why are you why are you uh, fighting back even? Why aren't you just apologizing? Or why did you apologize? Or or whatever? Because there's no move that's really the right move in in a quote unquote cancellation. Um, and when I say quote unquote cancellation, it's because that's the popular terminology. There's a lot going on with that, but um, the sorry, I got a phone call. I had to stop it, and it sort of messed up my train of thought there. That's that's okay. I mean, cancellation is um, it, it's it's funny that people think it's like a relatively recent phenomenon because no, no. Docker canceled a bunch of people. That was that Gawker was... tried to cancel Peter Thiel. <laughs> Look at them yeah. now. Well, Gawker. <laughs> see, that's the thing. Gawker isn't. It's not necessarily a um, like it was sort of looked at as a tabloid, but like tabloids are about celebrities. And yes, they did take down celebrities. Um, They did go after Peter Thiel and that did not work out well for them. Um, But they also went after a lot of like regular people, people who just have jobs in the world. Like they would constantly post like, look what this blankety blank said while blankety blank and that person would get fired from their you know normal ass job like and and they were treated as though they were exactly the same thing as somebody with like a huge platform because they were blasted to a huge platform gawker was a a 110 million dollar company the huge reach um and you know i wasn't necessarily completely in that boat like i i have a public presence i have people who like me at least uh, but like, I'm also not rich. I, I certainly can't afford a publicist for myself. And uh, if I can't, uh, when I was doing okay on YouTube, then like, you know, somebody who is, you know, a call center person who said something wrong, certainly can't afford a publicist. And, you know, it comes down on them. Like there was that lady who said something on, on a plane that was interpreted as racist, even though when she gave further context, it turned out that she was saying something completely the opposite of what people were asserting. She was saying she lost her job and I'm sure that her job was more comfortable than the warehouse jobs I've, I've worked throughout my life. But um, at the same time, I think it's really bizarre that, you know, they sort of fought these publicity wars with ostensibly normal people, people who nobody had ever heard of before people who, were being brought to the public as a pariah as opposed to like, you know, they used to talk about how, well, we build up all of our celebrities so we can tear them down. They weren't doing that. They were just finding people to tear down. Um, yes, they were doing the same thing with celebrities, but it, it, you can't have a celebrity do something terrible every single day uh, when like the type of content, the tone of the content is always about how bad the person is. Like a lot of times celebrities don't do anything. They go like eat at fat burger or whatever they have in LA. <laughs> um, so yeah, they sort of, they, they chewed up and spit out a lot of normal people too. So I think that that's, that's a component that I think you said that you, you've had other guests that have sort of gawker run in stories. I'm not surprised by that one bit. A lot of people I think who um, had that happen to them. Like I spoke to, 
Um, I don't exactly remember what she did, but there's one person I spoke to in private a couple of years later about what happened to her with Gawker. And she was like, I, I, I had no way of fighting back. I couldn't even hire a lawyer because if you want to try to sue over like defamation in the United States, good luck. That's a very tough prospect and costs money. And obviously uh, that is what ultimately took Gawker down. But again, it took it took funding from somebody who had tons of money for somebody else who ostensibly has more resources, Hulk Hogan, than than myself or, or yourself. Um, so when you think about it, like really the only thing you can do when that happens is is sort of comment on, you know, Gawker initially and then the sort of environment that uh, develops out of that and, and sort of like sort of the natural reaction. It's like, did you see what happened to me? Like, please understand what happened to me. Like, I don't want it to happen to other people. And even though like Gawker doesn't exist in the same capacity anymore, that dynamic is of course present. And that's what, that's what cancel culture is. It's not, you know, it's not a bunch of, you know, people just saying, Hey, you're bad. Uh, because of a thing you did, it's it's ultimately an industry. It's a thing that people make money off of. It's a it's a thing that uh, you know at at the microcosm and macrocosm has different dynamics, and, and that's not really how it's represented. I I mean I'm totally with you. It's it, it's it's wild that it gets painted as sort of this thing that's like you know that like leftism kind of thrust upon us, which is feels ridiculous because it is it. it, it it, you know, it's, it's an internet thing. It's, it's, it's because the only way we relate to other people is in this like hyper fixated way with a comments section. And, you know, maybe it's not literally still a comment section, like, you know, Gawker had with discus, but like, it's still, you know, it's, it's tweets or it's Facebook or it's Instagram or something. It, it's, it's even podcasts actual, at this point. It, yeah. There's, there's like a whole, like, you know, there's podcast cartels that are just dedicated mm-hmm. to like breaking people down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's the whole, it's just the whole way we communicate. It is like nothing to do with your political orientation. No, no, I, I did a, I'll probably be making a new version of it, but I did a, a documentary on cancel culture that I, I sort of asserted that it is, it's not, oh, I had a, I had a really relevant thing to say here. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> it's gone. It's all right. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, there's, I don't think we'll be able to change cancel culture until we change the way we talk to other people. No. Um, I, I think like the whole like woke thing is like kind of losing its uh, like cultural cachet. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I think like we'll start seeing people like, can, like, you know, canceled in the same way, maybe with like a right wing veneer or like, any political veneer, you know, it'll go back to sort of the Gawker style of canceling people. It's like, it just won't end, I think, until we, you know, we leave less uh, technology involved lives. But that that doesn't seem like it's <laughs> that, like that is at no risk of ending in the same way that like wokeness is sort of at risk of being washed away with the tides of time. Yeah. Well, like you said, it's it's not that it's a leftist thing. It is a thing that it's a dynamic it's a it's a you know on on the macrocosm it is a business uh and the microcosm it's kind of an exchange of uh social capital it's it's uh it's a sac it's using somebody as a sacrificial lamb to hoist yourself up in some way because the people the person who does the canceling or the 
uh, if you go back to Gawker, the organization that does the canceling has everything to gain from it. And that was really the question that led me ultimately to Marx uh, was why in the hell this hundred plus million dollar company was interested in if I made up a girlfriend or not. Like I, I, to me, that just seemed like the most absurd thing to care about. Like they don't know who I was. I certainly wasn't a household name in any way, shape or form. I wasn't relevant to the vast majority of the people who um, I was sort of displayed to, so to speak. And, you know, that, that led me to be critical of, of these types of, dynamics which led me to think oh well who has the power in these dynamics and it's always it's always capital whether it's it's one form of capital or another whether it's more symbolic capital or it's you know hard actual owns means of production capital somebody is always lording something they have over other people and uh, either someone else wants that thing or someone else wants them not to have that thing and and in the case of myself, like I'm a good cancellation target because I'm very critical of a lot of these dynamics and I, I don't approach them from like, what did this individual do? What did that individual do? I approach it from, hey, well, here's the thing that's happening here. It happens all the time across the entire political spectrum, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and people get they don't like that because it 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 messes with their business, even if they don't know that it messes with their business, even if they don't really know that what they're doing is, you know, farming social capital by, you know, sacrificing somebody to the mob. Um, they are. And that's the thing. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an exchange. It's a transfer of some form of capital, usually um, symbolic, because ultimately uh, it's hard to sort of and, and then that. And then you can make the case that it's not really capital, but it's more of a currency. Uh, but that's that's neither here nor there. That's uh, you can transfer that into capital one way or the other. I, I'm I'm curious. Did you react to like? Well, I well clearly you reacted, but how did you react to the attention you got from Gawker? Well, initially, I was kind of like freaked out and very defensive online. Um. I, I, uh, somebody interviewed me, uh, asking very sympathetic questions and then reframed them, uh, as though I was a lunatic. And I was like, wow. Oh, so, uh, there's, uh, it was another, it was the village voice did a, a, a piece on me. Like they were like, Hey, uh, looks like you're having a rough time. You know, let's try to do something more sympathetic. And they did something totally backhanded, interviewed me and, um, you know, asked a bunch of sympathetic questions and I answered them honestly, like a fool, because I didn't have a publicist. Uh, I, I didn't think about the questions they were asking me. I didn't think about how they could represent me and they completely misrepresented me. Um, this doesn't represent me. <laughs> um, but they, that happened and that kind of, it changed my perspective on, uh, on how, or really what's happening because like I said, I was originally defensive. I was originally like saying like, I didn't do this. Like, why do you think that I did this? Blah, blah, blah. And what I realized is that it doesn't matter what you say in response to it. They will twist it to conform to their narrative. And they have the ability to put that narrative in front of more people than I have the ability to. 
So what I have to do is find a way to fight it without um, being defensive. And and over the years, I've gotten less defensive about it. And and I think it was in 2019 I made a I made a video about it, which sort of went into some of the factors that I've talked about here today and some other things like um, I ended up showing, you know, political affiliations of various people who were involved, like uh, connections between them and, and ownership of capital, stuff like that. And it you, you always end up finding that like the people who have the most benefit are the people who have the most to use to get benefits from like a larger person personality rather has a platform already and therefore can dictate the narrative, but they can't dictate the narrative like a huge media company can dictate the narrative um, and so on and so forth. So I don't know. It, it, it's, it's always comes back to power. Who has the power? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, it also, it, they, they also want people to react so they could create more content off the, yeah. off the reaction. Oh, it yeah. kind of seems like the only thing you could do in that situation is to like, you know, cool off, take the time you need, then come back and pretend like it never happened. I think that that is kind of what they suge- suggest people do because everything you say is bad. It doesn't matter what you say. Like even now I can say, um, I can put out like the most thoughtful critique of something and people will say, you're molding over your fake girlfriend from a decade ago. And it's like, wow, <laughs> you know, I'm talking about something that has nothing to do with that. And, uh, <laughs> and this is the majority your of the feedback you get. Can't me- like, doesn't mention that. Right. I mean, I I've been through much smaller scale, but like similar stuff. Right. And I realize at some point, I mean, like at some point being like this week, you know, <laughs> not <Yeah>. exactly, <laughs> but like, you know, it's like, I just have to like, not even see it. I have to just see right through it because that's eventually, that's it you know. right there. That's exactly what you have to do. You have to um, eventually at some point, just understand that these are people who see you through a completely different, like, like they're, they're wearing goggles that make you look like a demon or something like they cannot see uh, you for what you are. They can only see what has been presented to them because it's a mediated platform. And it's the big thing you eventually get to is that it's really not their fault. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it sucks a lot. And I hate a lot of people's behavior, but if you're looking at something through Twitter, you're seeing it, how Twitter wants you to see it. And when I say Twitter, I mean, you know, people who have interests through their followings on Twitter. And I'm saying it through like the company itself via it's, you know, it's various algorithms attempting to make money off of types of content that they're putting out there. It's you absolutely have to just eventually learn that there's going to be people out there that hate everything you say or do and will reduce it to whatever they see you as and you have to still be able to function like you can't you can't pursue those people and try to change the world based around them like you have to you have to just like like I said I'm a critic I I spend my time you know outlining dynamics trying to figure out where material distinctions are in things and 
you know, trying to put forward something that at least helps people understand something better. But like, if I concentrated all of my energy on like defending myself from, you know, some obsessed people, and that's really what it is at this point. Like, is it the majority of people who pay attention to me? No, but they're also the loudest people that pay attention to me. Uh, If I were to pay attention to them exclusively, I could easily get myself just stuck in, in a loop in an argument with them for all time, because it doesn't matter what I say to them. I can say anything and they will return back to me with the fake girlfriend thing. You kicked yourself in the nuts on TV in 2004. It's like, I don't care about those things. Those, the, 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 the nut thing is it's funny. I I, I think that that's funny. Um, but they're like, no, 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 it's bad. It's bad for you. Uh, whether you like it or not, it's bad for you. Um, it's just how it works. You can't, and I know that I'm just sort of circling around the fact that you can't let this stuff in. Um, it's the only healthy option. And, and, and it sucks that it's the only healthy option because it's not like you can really fight for yourself it, with the people who are doing the most detriment to you in terms of your reputation. Or um, sometimes uh, if you do get involved with it, your emotional health. But the best it's it sucks so much that the best thing you can do is ignore it. But you got to learn to, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I thought I, you know, I, I thought that you could dissuade people, but you know, to, sometimes to you can, sometimes so, you can. Yes. I mean like certain, like I've sent people my writing and I've been like, I don't know where you got this caricature yeah. of me, but like here, if you want to read my blog and then they'll come mm-hmm. back and sometimes they like it. And you know, that's like very, that's very pleasant. And I feel like, ah, oh, I converted one. But, yeah. Well, uh, that, <laughs> you know I mean? sometimes that makes it actually feel like it's worth it to have all of the like people angry at you because somebody at least saw that like they can't necessarily rely on, on uh, the long form game of telephone that's going on about every other person. And even if like, even if you only like sort of converted them on your stuff, you also sort of told them like, Hey, you can't really trust everything you see or read or hear. And I think that that's really a valuable thing. Um, even though it's, it's just one individual most of the time, like I have probably one or two a week that will approach me and say something. And I sort of return to them with like, Hey, blah, blah, blah. And, and have a conversation with them. But out of the people who do that, most of them end up at least seeing me as a human being afterwards instead of as like this random like freak, which is nice. Um, But it also like they have to go, oh, every time somebody tells me somebody's a random freak, they might just be a a person that like is a valuable at least thing to put out there for somebody, I I think. Well, it's it's interesting because it's like. They're, you know, actual celebrities are really just brands and they have like Absolutely. all the resources of brand management. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, private citizens get famous now all the time. You know, like you're obviously an example of that. Mm-hmm. But, you you know, you you're still viewed through the lens of a brand, but you don't have like the the brand management layer to help protect you. Like people aren't like pe- like people don't realize that you're not. You know, you don't have the same resources as like Ariana Grande or something. No. And like you're just some dude. Yeah. People explicitly think I have those resources, you know, like there's people who will say like, you're just a rich YouTuber. It's like, I'm just a rich YouTuber. 
Like that's that. No, no, I'm not. Uh, I, I am a YouTuber technically, uh, in that I, I upload things to YouTube, but rich is, I am not that, um, I am, you know, for all intents and purposes, I work normal jobs. I make money doing work and uh, I do this because I enjoy it. Um, I enjoy Why do you pivot away from comedy. It seems like it's like criticism opens you up maybe to some more of the weird internet specific kind of, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. I, as I'm saying, I don't know if I believe that, but well, I mean, why, why did you make the switch? I, though? I, I, I made the switch more or less because the comedy, it just didn't feel right anymore. Like I still like inject comedy into what I'm doing. And I feel like it's, it's more natural when I'm not trying to do it every single line. Um, but my comedy was also very critical of things. So it's, it's, uh, it went from kind of trying really hard to make things that I wanted to say into things that were funny into just saying the things that I wanted to say. And when it was funny, it was funny. Like it kind of felt like a more natural thing to do for me to just sort of like, all right, if I'm going to say something that's not funny, I might as well not be trying to be funny as I'm doing that. Uh, And then when things work out to be funny, that's a, that's also a a good thing Um, for lack of, I guess, a more concrete explanation. No, I mean, that, that makes sense. That's a that's a as good of an answer as anything. I didn't know, though, if it was like something about like maybe the way you interact with the platform changed or something. No, I actually probably I interact just less over time with with all of the like I still like I read comments from people who are um, nice about things. I, I try to, you know, pay attention to people who are saying nice things about me. Uh, because sometimes it's it's obviously I, I'm we're not all out for like validation twenty four seven, but I think that people do like to be recognized for the work that they do. I think that's a pretty normal thing, and I like I still I, I absolutely do like that, uh, um, and I think that there is a, an amount of that that can, that can still be healthy. Um, it just can't all. It also can't be your all consuming thing, you know. Um, so you know. I interact where I kind of like look for the, the, the bigger comments and see if people are saying something nice, try to engage with some points. I, I, I mostly engage with like the people who have joined my discord in terms of like uh, sympathetic folks. And the reason for that is because there's kind of an environment that's been curated there. That's very chill. Like there's a lot of discussions that go on there often everybody's kind of willing to self-criticize in a way that is not necessarily characteristic of how something would be more publicly, so to speak. And I think that's more how I've interacted in recent years is I've tried to get away from dealing with the more mediated stuff and uh, closer to the more direct interactions with people. Just because it's if if you're constantly communicating through a mediated platform, what are you losing and what are you being forced to see? You're you're seeing stuff that you didn't intend to see, and everything that you put out there is chopped up in some way. Whether you tweet a thread or you you know send a message via even Facebook, like Facebook 
you have to literally pay to to reach all of your followers on Facebook now. Um, it's I don't know. I I don't have the money to do that. A and B. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, I don't know. I. I I would say that I interact in a way that's a lot more direct on these platforms. Now I try to avoid algorithmic activity a lot more. Um, and maybe that's to my detriment as a content creator, but it's also in my opinion, a lot more healthy. I I, mean, I totally agree with you. Cause you also don't know like how many permutations of like, mm-hmm. you, you know, in, in your custom reality and you book, right? Like there's to, to, to circle back to that. You also don't know how many like, permutations of reality your followers are seeing because you are you're one piece of an ecosystem Mm -hmm. absolutely because so if you're setting up um this is kind of what i'm getting at with the book is like people who own a platform whether it be like an influencer or much more specifically like a larger scale platform or creator or like studio or what have you they're sort of creating a reality where it's beneficial to them. Just like Mr. Clean is creating a reality in which Mr. Clean is the best cleaning product or whatever. Like it's that same thing going on with basically everything. And the fandom is the people that maintain that reality. Um, and my cat is come here. Come here. Oh, you want to get out of here? My door is <laughs> shut. So, there you go. I thought he wanted to sit on my lap, but that's always um, a disappointment when they yeah, don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like, no, no, no. I want to leave. Um, <laughs> please open the door so that I can go away from you, not towards you. <laughs> um, but what was I saying? I'm sorry. But it, but that all the permutations of reality. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, the fandoms are sort of what maintains that stuff, and. It's ultimately like it's it's capital or, you know, somebody acting on behalf of capital in the case of the sort of influencers who don't really own anything but sort of work this mode one way or the other. They're sort of maintaining this dynamic where there's lots and lots of different people seeing completely different versions of everything. And the conflict ends up not being about like, whether or not we all have what we need. And it, it more ends up being um, whose reality is the correct one. And, and it's set up so that no reality is the correct one. So everybody argues indefinitely. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing because I, I'm sure that there's a lot of people who, will describe the exact same dynamic in, in tons of different ways. Like the the tribalism description that I referred to earlier is an attempt at describing what I think is probably the exact same dynamic. Um, fandom is an attempt to describe that dynamic if you're being critical of fandom anyways, if you're just going on Tumblr going, my best fandom is. Um, it's, not so, <laughs> it's not so much that, but... Also, thank God, Tumblr is not really a big thing anymore. Um, Man, yeah, I I think the only reason people know who I am is because I just over the summer went ham on criticizing Tumblr. And like, <laughs> <laughs> well, we can say that that is a platform that deserved it for sure. 
Yeah, um, I, I, I definitely. I mean, people, people blink so much shit at YouTube radicalizing people, but if you want like a platform that was literally like designed to, to ra- like even more than TikTok, I think it was. It's definitely. really Tumblr is designed to brainwash people. Yeah, and the thing is, is people say radicalize, and they mean like became far left or far right, and like no, like if you understand, like being. Like a super fan is is the result of you having been radicalized. Like if you are obsessive about Steven Universe or Rick and Morty or My Little Pony or whatever, you've been radicalized in that direction. Because if you watch how these people interact with each other, it is as, as though their lives depend on it. They are vitriolic, horrible towards each other. And that's not everyday normal behavior that's radicalized behavior now are these people capable of like radically changing society no but the term that radicalization that people like to use i think you can find that dynamic in all like it's the same thing it's 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 the same thing in far left and far right as it is in you know cartoon fandom and well, the thing is, like, the, that the behavior is there, right? Like, the inclination mm-hmm. to behave that way is there. Because, again, like, you could switch anything in with Steven Universe. So, like, maybe they can radically change society. Like, I guess this is something that has also weirdly come up a bunch of times, where it's, like, it, I, you would be forgiven for thinking that Tumblr was some kind of op to, like, train and condition people to be, you know, to exhibit these kinds of behaviors and mm-hmm. see who is willing and who is capable of acting this way. Right. Because then, yeah. you, you know, you take away the cartoon and you throw in whatever, you know, whatever the hell other thing you want. Mm-hmm. And then you have like, you have an army. You do. And, you know, that's also kind of what fandom has always been. Like Beatlemania is kind of the same thing, albeit through much slower mediated platforms that you can't, you know, sort of, it's not a turnkey operation. Beatlemania was certainly different in those respects where a lot of money probably had to be spent in a lot of different places. Whereas now you can kind of do a self-serve advertising thing and, and take over a platform. If you have probably considerably less money than it took to push the Beatles in the, in America. Um, but I mean, they're all iterations of this, this concept that you refer to is just sort of building an army for whatever thing that you want to have an army. And that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of terrifying. Um, and again, like, it's kind of terrifying that, like, we keep missing, <laughs> sort of, you know, it's, it's like, who cares if it's the Beatles or the Osmonds or One Direction or whoever, you know, it's, it's yeah. the, the behavior period. Yeah, that keeps getting missed. And it will continue to keep getting missed because in order for you to say something that is, quote unquote, um, and I'm using an older term here, but uh, I'm sure it probably makes sense. Viral. To go viral, you need to say something that um, that people are searching for, that people want to see. And that usually involves um, famous individuals or uh, current events that everyone knows about. So you're disincentivized from talking about it from like, this is behavior and, and this behavior is incentivized and there are people and other forces that are doing the incentivizing. What are those things? Like, those are not the question. Like, I don't even, if I were to try to find something that outlined those things, I don't even know what I would put into Google. I have no idea because they're, they're such abstract concepts 
that it it's more or less built to avoid ever talking about it, which is scary. <laughs> totally. I mean, it's, it's super scary and, and, and no one, no one wants to, to talk about it. No one wants to like step back. I mean, the closest we get is just like blaming uh, specific platforms on like very specific ideologies, but never like, well, you know, how was this message transmitted to convince that many mm-hmm. people? Absolutely. Um, but I've, I've kept you a little bit longer than planned. So, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to take up your whole night. So I, I do I have think- to go and eat dinner, but yeah, I think this is a great conversation. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for joining me and have a, have a great evening. Um, and yeah, it'll, I'll, I'll release it probably in a couple of weeks. <laughs>